Last week, I never got the chance to tell you how I feel about the guilty verdict for the three men who murdered Ahmaud Arbery. Today, I want to unpack and explain it and break it all down. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The, the, the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. For most of the country, you know, last week was like Thanksgiving week. Uh, a, a lot of us got a day or two off, and God bless all of you who had to work through the entire holiday. But for me, and certainly for the family of Ahmad Arbery, for um, the legal team that surrounded that family and did a masterful job, it was an incredibly stressful time. And for those of you who don't know, uh, maybe you are new to the podcast or even new to the work that I do. In so many ways, the murder case of Ahmaud Arbery was a cold case. You had a young man that a mother knew was shot and killed while he was out jogging. And she knew that he was shot and killed by white men from her town deep in South Georgia in Brunswick. And she knew that something was wrong with the way police were telling her about Ahmad's murder and that there was some type of injustice that happened. And she just knew. And a mother knows. Uh, You know, I've been with, I'm, I'm 42. I've been with my wife since I was a teenage boy in high school. And um, I see what my wife knows and feels and understands about our kids. And Wanda Cooper Jones knew that something deeply unjust had happened to Ahmad and was determined to get somebody to address it. The local police failed. The local district attorney failed. She, the local DA then passed it to another DA who passed it to another DA and still she would not give up. And in the early days of the pandemic, um, they were, it was a scary time during the pandemic. The country ended up being completely taken over with fear of the coronavirus and where my family and I lived in Brooklyn, um, our, our very neighborhood was completely, I mean, just decimated by the pandemic businesses and lives. I mean, it was, it was a horrible, horrible time for New York city and the murder of Ahmad in a lot of ways not because of anything Wanda did or didn't do, but the murder of Ahmad got lost in the wave of the pandemic, the early wave of the pandemic that took the whole country over. And yet she still didn't give up. And one of Ahmad's childhood friends reached out to me a few times. And again, Ahmad's name was not known. The case It was beginning to be known in Brunswick and in Glenn County in South Georgia, but it really had not gone beyond that. And 
Uh, one of Ahmad's childhood friends reached out to me and said, listen, you know, here's what we think happened uh, based on what we know. Um, you know, can you help? And that night, uh, he ultimately put me on the phone with Wanda. And it was that night that me and civil rights attorney Lee Merritt decided that in many ways we would stop our entire professional lives uh, to do everything we could to get justice and accountability for Ahmad and for Ahmad's family. And that's what we did. And we began first telling the story of who Ahmad was, what Ahmad was doing. We publicly identified the men who murdered Ahmad. We eventually identified the man who, first we identified Greg and Travis McMichael, and then uh, later we were able to identify William Roddy Bryan. I mean, we were able to find their homes, their jobs. We were able to find witnesses and, and information, all that we ended up turning over to the state. And we created a massive campaign uh, at runwithmod.com, and we got millions of you to participate in it, not only by running and creating awareness, but by signing our petition. We made hundreds of thousands of phone calls for the case to be reopened. It was, in essence, a closed case. And these men were just running, these men were just walking around town. You know, they, they were free. They had moved, in essence, they had moved on. And we pushed and pushed and pushed. And I'll, I'll say on here what I've said publicly. Um, there was public pressure, yes. But we found the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, to be, um, to be warm. In this case, he was, he has been kind not only to Wanda and her family, but he got be, he got behind the cause for justice. And like, I don't mean I don't not. I mean, you'd have to be in my shoes to believe it, I guess, because maybe you're in a position where you think all Republicans are monsters and all Democrats aren't, and sometimes that's just not the case. But I'm telling you that Brian Kemp was good on this. And he knew very little about it until, until we brought it to him and brought it to his staff. Again, this thing was super local. And um, when he really came to understand what happened, uh, he, was, he was enraged and hurt. And he said as much on the phone to Wanda Cooper-Jones and got behind the calls for justice and put his attorney general on it and they appointed a special prosecutor because the local prosecutors had completely bungled it. And it got us all the way to this point. And it took all of that for there to eventually be, as there was last week, um, a guilty verdict or multiple guilty verdicts in this case. I'm glad, you know, most of what I do as a calling and for a living is fight against mass incarceration. And so I don't take pleasure, generally speaking, I don't take pleasure in fighting for more incarceration. That's generally not my best work. But there are cases of racial injustice, and, and Lord knows this is one of those. There are cases of police violence where 
I fight for maximum accountability for a a police officer who murders George Floyd and for the officers who participated and for for the man who shot and killed Ahmaud and for the men who participated. And simultaneously, I will also fight against mass incarceration. And I don't find a contradiction in that. Um, My primary goal in life is to confront racial injustice, police brutality, and mass incarceration. and, And end those things the best we can. Racial injustice, police violence, and mass incarceration. There are exceptions to when um, I will fight for somebody to be held accountable and for the men who murdered George Floyd and the men who murdered Ahmaud Arbery, those men needed to be held accountable. And I'm glad. I have no regrets. I'm glad we fought for it. In my community of particularly experts in the mass incarceration space, There is something that made us all slightly uncomfortable, and I'll try to explain it. Um, Gregory McMichael um, and Travis McMichael, the father and son, they were, each, each man here was charged with about 10 crimes. Travis McMichael, who was the shooter, was convicted on all the charges. And he was convicted for a different murder charge. He was convicted of malice murder. And Travis McMichael will very likely spend the rest of his adult life in prison. At the very least, he will spend a very long time. And again, going back to... And I, and I apologize in advance if this stings any member of Ahmad's family. If Travis McMichael or, or Greg McMichael or Roddy Bryan don't spend their entire lives in prison, I generally am okay with that. If somebody who commits a heinous crime spends 30 40, 50 years of their lives in prison, I generally am of the belief that that can be long enough. We'll see how these men are in prison. We'll see what their prison experience is like. Um, These men may or may not come up for parole, uh, depending on how the sentencing phase goes, because they were each convicted of multiple felonies. So they may get life without parole. I don't know. Travis McMichael will be most likely to get that life without parole. But Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan were, their most serious charge was something called felony murder. And you've probably heard me speak against felony murder here on the podcast, primarily because felony murder is every single day regularly, and I mean daily, I mean that literally, used particularly against black boys who are present when another black boy shoots and kills somebody. When a black boy or black man 
uses a firearm to shoot and kill somebody. And some other boys or men happen to be around or were around. I don't mean happen like it was an accident. But they were there when the shooting happened. But didn't hold the gun, didn't have the gun, but were committing some other crime in the process. If it was burglary or whatever it may be. Black boys and men every single day who didn't pull the trigger are convicted of murder and sent to prison for the rest of their lives. And it is often used in a very abusive way of black boys who had no idea that something like that was going to happen. They're convicted on felony murder, sent to prison for the rest of their lives, sometimes as children. And so the felony murder rule is used terribly against African-Americans all over this country. And this is one of those rare moments. And uh, I got a lot of pushback from my own constituents, uh, my, my, own, my own crew, who said, like, Sean, it's a problem to see you advocating that these men be convicted. So let me explain myself. These men participated in the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. Greg McMichael, Roddy Bryan, they participated. They weren't random bystanders. They weren't simply along for the ride. They were active agents in the murder of Ahmaud. And so, yes, I do still hate the felony murder rule and how it is frequently misapplied to black boys and men who weren't participants in a murder, who may have literally just been along for the ride, who may have just been there for mischief, but not there for murder. It is, it is and has been my belief that William Roddy Bryan and, and Greg McMichael were active participants in the murder of Ahmad. And what I know is a nearly all-white jury of 11 jurors, 11 white jurors, rather, they also believed the same thing and unanimously found the two men guilty of felony murder and Travis McMichael guilty of malice murder. It is, the word bittersweet is not quite appropriate. It, it is a very conflicting moment. Um, because Ahmad is still dead. Ahmad was still murdered. He was still killed, and it's still horrible. And there was an empty seat at the Thanksgiving table of his family again. And so in that sense, it's, you know, this verdict didn't bring Ahmad back. But it is some accountability, and I'm just telling the truth. For the family of Wanda Cooper Jones in this case, it was some degree of closure. Her baby is still gone. It still hurts. But she feels like there's something resembling justice here. And I, I want to close with this. It was a deeply historic verdict. Deep in southern Georgia, a nearly all-white jury convicted three white men of lynching a black man. 
something that we rarely, rarely see in this country. And I'm grateful and thankful for all of you who assisted us in the entire process. Got to run, love, and appreciate all of you. Take care, everybody. Break it down. I'm Tiffany Hawkins. I'm Alan Boomer. And we are the Momentum Advisors. Every single week, we talk about wealth management, personal finance, and entrepreneurship. We are financial advisors by day. We're entrepreneurs by night. We're building wealth for ourselves, and we want to make sure that you understand how to build wealth in your own family. Tune in for shows like Is Your Money Racist, Retirement Savings, Investment 101. We literally run the gamut on all the things that you need to know about financial wealth, creating a legacy for your family, and really just wealth creation as a whole. What we find is that these conversations are happening, but they're not happening as much as they need to in diverse communities. And so we're bringing a new voice, a new amount of energy, and we want you to tune in. So we bring the tips, we bring the strategy, and we always bring the good news. So make sure you tune in every week to the Momentum Advisors. There's something for everyone. Mom.